My name's Stephen Miller. Do they have a picture of my wife up there? Uh, that's her, Susie. Um, and we are the pastors at Manukau New Life, and so good friends of Pastors Craig and Trinity. Uh, in fact, they came from our church out here to pastor this church many years ago, and um, it's been good to see what God is doing in this house. Amen? Looking around here going, it's exciting, isn't it? Exciting what the Lord is doing, and um, privileged to be here this morning. It's a joy to be here and to share with you on the Holy Spirit. Um, I have some children, a few children, and um, I think they're up on the screen as well. Um, so I have, I have seven kids, and we have uh, kind of adopted two Fijian boys as well. So there's nine kids in our house, not a big house, um, so four boys in the bedroom, except one of them normally sleeps in the lounge because they reckon there's not enough oxygen in there for some reason. <clears throat> and um, yeah, got apps there in the middle. He plays, he's 18 years old and he plays for the Prem's rugby team in Caracas. So he's a, he's a solid dude. And, uh, and then apps and Sam and Jordan. And then uh, I have five girls, uh, Celine, Talia, Liana, Aria and Grace. And so um, my life's pretty full on. It's pretty cool. But that's uh, just a little bit about me. And we pastor a church and we um, do lots of things in the community as well. One of the things that um, I love to talk about is the Holy Spirit. And I want to uh, encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read Romans 8. Um, I don't have a lot of notes. I'm just going to kind of flow this morning. I, I, love to, um, I love to teach, and I probably get into a bit of teaching. But actually, you guys have one of the best teaching pastors I know in this country. Craig's an amazing uh, teacher, isn't he? And Trin's pretty cool as well. So, you know, um, you know, you guys are really blessed in this church. So I'm not going to try and like do a lot of teaching because I'm pretty sure Pastor Craig would have taught you um, some amazing stuff about the Holy Ghost. I just want to share some stories this morning. And I want to I talk about some of the things I've seen the Holy Spirit do in people's lives. And I want to then pray for you because one of the things I love to do is pray for people to be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit and to speak in tongues. So if you're new here this morning, welcome to church, which might be a little bit different today. Uh, I don't know you all, uh, but you know, as Christians, we are people who believe that life is not just about the natural, but about the supernatural. When we are born again, we, we, we receive this new life in the Spirit. But you know what? That's, that's not such a weird concept in our country. We have in, uh, in, in New Zealand culture, we have this Maori term called haora, which is actually about well-being in body, in mental, in social, and in spiritual, wairua, which is the spiritual part of who we are. So even our nation, even our, our political system, our education, etc., that there's a spiritual part to who we are in this life. And so, you know, it's, it's not sort of, it shouldn't be strange to us as Christians to think that there's a spiritual dimension to life. There is a spiritual dimension. Jesus talks about that. The Bible talks about the Spirit of God. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. And, and the thing I find is that a lot of people, yeah, acknowledge the spirit realm, but when it actually happens, they go a little bit scared. I had a, we had a lady come to our youth group the other day, and um, she was a teacher. And in my, in my daughter's high school, and um, she came along, she's a young teacher, and she came to youth, and so um, one of our youth leaders was giving a word to somebody, and as she's given, he's giving the word to this person, the person was so overcome by the, the love of God, the person collapsed on the ground, while well, the teacher thought, ran out and, and sort of left the youth at that point, 
and, um, and went to school and um, told people that church worships the devil. And I find that's what happens because she came from a very traditional upbringing and she'd never seen that. She, I think she must have thought church was about a cup of tea and I'm not sure what else. Anyway, um, she talked to another teacher and the other teacher was from a Pentecostal background and said to her, look, have you read your Bible? And she was like, no, I don't read the Bible. She said, well, you should read the Bible because that stuff's actually in the Bible. <laughs> Believe it or not, the power of God does touch people's lives and, and people get you know, touched by the love of God and it's, it's, it's not the devil. Now, I have seen, I, I don't talk about it, but I've seen plenty of demonic stuff. And I can tell you what was happening in our youth ministry wasn't the devil. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. But when something happens that you're, un, you, you're not used to, sometimes we start labeling that the devil. Oh, no, not sure about that. But that's not the devil. That's the power of God at work in a person's life. That wasn't on my notes. So I'm, as I said, I'm just going to kind of go wherever the Holy Spirit tells me to go this morning. Is that all right? The Holy Spirit. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to read you Romans chapter 8 because the Holy Spirit's done an incredible work in my life and so many people that I know. And if you could, if you had a highlighter or if you had two color pens, you could read through Romans chapter 8 and you could, you could underline these two things. There's the work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh or the law. And, the, and this whole chapter is a comparison between those two things, all right? So if you've got your Bibles or your phone app, then let's have a read of this together. Romans chapter 8 says this, So then, therefore, so now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's the work of the flesh, the condemnation. The flesh, the law, will condemn you. But there's no condemnation. And because you, have, you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit, everyone say the power, power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The life-giving Spirit and the flesh, the, the sinful nature will lead to death. The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His only Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, I praise God, we sung about it this morning, for what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Jesus died on the cross. He, he paid for our sins to be delivered. He paid for our sins to be washed away. He paid for our salvation. Who's excited about what Jesus did on the cross? Amen? I love what Jesus did on the cross. But you know what? Something you might not have thought about too much. When Jesus died on the cross, for the first 50 days after Jesus had died on the cross, had, had paid for our sins to be forgiven, had, had washed us free, how many people got saved in the first 50 days straight after He died on the cross and rose from the dead? Any, anybody know? Nobody got saved. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? That nobody got saved, the church didn't grow, for the first 50 days after what Jesus had done on the cross. When the church began to grow, when the miracles began to be poured out, and when, the, when the, you know, people actually started experiencing the power of what Jesus had done, was at Pentecost, was when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. That's, that's a powerful thought. And, and I think from there to now, the devil's been working overtime to try and get the Holy Spirit out of the church. Because if you can get the Holy Spirit out of the church, we lose the power of what God had done through Jesus on the cross. We lose the revelation and the experiential, experiential power of that. 
But having said that, I love what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that control your mind. Sorry, think about the things that please the Spirit. Verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Let me read that again. Those that do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raises Jesus from the dead Raise Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's an incredible passage. And we could, we could read on there. Just let me read you one last verse. Verse 26 says this, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Why don't we pray this morning? Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your life that you want to pour out into us. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to speak to our lives today, to come and to uh, just challenge our paradigms, to come and, and fill us afresh. Lord, we don't want to do this life by human might or human effort, but by the power of the Spirit of God. For you said, not by might or power, but by your Spirit, Lord. And that's how we want to live this life. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to walk in step with the Spirit. We want to know the infilling and power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So in Romans chapter 8 here, as we read this chapter, we see these comparisons. I want to just talk about this a little bit to maybe stir our hunger up this morning. And it starts off there in Romans chapter 8, and it says, therefore. And when you read in the Bible, the word therefore, one great scholar taught me, you have to ask what it's there for. So therefore is therefore something, and it normally means you've got to look at the verses before that to understand what the link is. And so if we read back in Romans chapter 7, the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul's talking about this situation, this conflict that he has in his life. He says, I'm, I'm under the law, and the law says that I'm supposed to do this, and, and I want to do what is right, but my flesh keeps doing what is wrong. 
And the law says, don't do what is wrong. And so I try not to do what is wrong, but my flesh kind of, you know, I find it doing what is wrong. And he, he says, who will deliver me from this terrible plight that I am in? Now, some believers think that that's who, the state that we are in. And they say, well, you know, I'm trying to be a Christian, but, you know, I just keep doing the wrong thing. And that's what Paul was saying here. The friend, Paul's not talking about our lives. He's talking about his life before he met Christ, right? Because he says, he finishes that chapter saying, praise God through Christ Jesus who has taken me out of that state that I used to be in. But you will be in that state if you don't live your Christian life with the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be continually trying to do the right thing and continually your flesh will be dominating you. And so Paul starts to say here in Romans 8, therefore, this is the new life. Therefore, now there is no condemnation. I'm not living under that kind of predicament to those who are not under the flesh, not under the law, but in the life that the Spirit of God wants to bring to us this morning. If we're trying to live this Christian life being religious, just trying to follow the rules, just trying to do what is right in my own ability, there will not be the power that is required to live our lives free and holy. I know what that's like. I was born in that. I have a photo here. Do I have a photo here? This is, this is my cousin. His name is Joshua. I went and visited him a little while ago. I went and visited him where he lives. He lives in Gloryville. Um, where I was born. I grew up there, uh, and that's a very religious place. I was born, and I grew up there till I was 12 years old with, uh, with our family. And um, when I came out of that, I was filled with 12 years of religious pride. So I know what it's like to, to grow up in a place that's very religious. And I uh, was there. I took my children back into Gloria Vale to visit because I said, you need to understand where Dad grew up. I said, Dad, now we know why you're a little weird. <laughs> and, um, but I, I had a good conversation with my cousin Joshua that day, who still lives there. Sadly, his wife and most of his kids have left um, for him. And uh, I've tried to tell him, brother, you can live as a Christian outside of Gloryville. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But I, I know what it's like to live under religion. I know what it's like to live as a Christian, but being trying to be holy in your own effort. I, I was, we were so committed to holiness. We moved so far away from the world and glory of our, we moved right out to the back of the mountains. We didn't just homeschool our kids. We took them way, way out the back somewhere. We protected them from, a, and we could keep, you know, we, we did everything there was to be holy. And there was more sin there than I see in most churches. Because sin's not about separating yourself out there. Sin comes from the heart, right? Sin comes from in here. And there's no way you can live away from sin, you know, drive it. It's still in here. And the only way you can destroy that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is able to destroy the works of the flesh and sin. And so if you were trying to live a holy life by being sort of separate from the world, that's never going to work. I, I, was, I went there. I tried that. And all you end up living is with this huge burden and sometimes a whole lot of pride about how much better you are than everyone else. And then you realize, I woke up one day and thought, man, pride's the worst sin and I'm really proud. And I was like, man, I'm in a big mess here. I still remember the day that Jesus spoke to me and I was reading a passage about the Pharisees and I thought, wow, 
I am just like these Pharisees, full of religious pride. And yet I knew deep in my heart there was so much sin. There was so much sin. I'm like, God, I just fell on my knees and repented. I said, Jesus, I, I probably would have been one of those guys that wanted to stone you. You know? Jesus is pretty wild when he turns up to church. He turns up and he says, well, if you knew God, you'd know me because you'd just figure it out. And the Pharisees are like, how are we supposed to figure this out? You know, and he's like, well, you just know me because you should know God and you should know that I'm the son of God. It didn't really give you a lot more than that. And, and then he would say stuff like, if you, you know the Father, you'd know that it's okay to eat my body and drink my blood. And they were like, whoa. You know, but he expected you to figure that out because you figured out, yeah, he's God. But they took up stones to stone him. And I thought, I probably want to stone the pastor that said, eat my body and drink my blood too, you know? It was just a little bit weird. And I thought, man, Jesus, we, you know, what if the second coming, I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place here. What if the second coming, Jesus came in here and said, if you know God, you know that I'm him. We're getting out on a bus and we're going to heaven this afternoon. Would you be able to figure out that that's him? Because that's kind of how he expected us to be, so in tune with the Spirit of God and the Father that we would know and be able to discern that this is God and this is not God. Does that make sense? And so we've got to learn not to walk in our religious rules, but learn to walk in freedom. And I'm saying that this morning because there's some of you here, and I know what I'm saying is kind of just challenging your paradigm a little bit, but I'm saying this because some of you here are kind of have been living great Christian religious lives, and the Holy Spirit wants to come inside of you and mess you up a little bit in a good way. Hallelujah. Good preaching, Pastor Stephen. That's great. All right. Praise God. What are we talking about here? The Holy Spirit wants to bring to you faith. He wants to break the power of condemnation off our lives. We're not condemned all the time, but we are believing. The Holy Spirit wants to mortify the habits of of the flesh. There's people here, I'm, I'm with you, friend, who at times we've struggled with these habits. We've struggled with addictions. We've struggled with these things. Man, we want to live holy, but there's this, 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 this struggle like Paul had in his life, and it's because we're trying to overcome that in our own ability, in our own discipline. And we try and we try and we try, but we eventually end up falling into that same trap. There's an answer to that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. This word here, mortifies, comes from the Greek word, which, well, the English, other English word, which means morgue. And if you go to the morgue, things that generally hang out in the morgue are dead. And so the Holy Spirit comes to mortify, means to put to death, to kill the works of the flesh. Instead of trying to be holy enough to come into God's presence, what you have to learn to be is hungry enough to come into His presence. And when you come hungry, then He comes on the inside and begins to put to death the works of the flesh. Don't try to put to death the works of the flesh. Just try to get filled with the Spirit of God. When you turn the light on, the darkness flees. Amen? 
And so if you're struggling with some stuff in your life and you've been trying to battle that thing and say, man, I, I need to just get more discipline. Discipline's great. Accountability's great. But what's even better is the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The same one that raised Jesus from the dead that can drive out death, can drive out that fleshly sinful habit that you've been striving and struggling to overcome in your own ability. Because Romans says here that he puts to death the work of the flesh. He breaks the power of control addictions off our life and brings an empowering holiness on the inside of us. Friend, let me say this again. You don't have to be holy enough to come to God. You have to be hungry enough. You have to want His presence. You have to desire His presence. You, you, you want to repent of your sin. You want to get rid of unforgiveness and say, God, I am so here, so hungry for you because I want this power of the Holy Ghost at work inside of my life. That's how we live, the life-giving power of Christ. Then He begins to change our identity. He begins to shift the way we think about ourselves. So many of us have struggled with words that have been spoken over us. But Romans 8 says this, we read this, says, For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The Spirit produces sonship and the bliss of which we cry out, Abba, Father. He gives us a new identity. We begin to see who we are as children of God. And this is part of the key that gives us the victory, isn't it? Once you begin to see who you are, that gives you the victory over those things that you've been struggling with. And you begin to walk as this new child of God. No longer that famous song says, a slave to sin, I am a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. No longer living under that bondage. I am a child of God. I have the victory in my life. And I know in my life, there's been so many times the Holy Spirit has come and revealed to me and, and transformed and changed the way that I've thought about myself. I remember when I was a young guy in a youth camp and uh, out in Hunua, and I was just at a, uh, having a quiet time with the Lord. And all of a sudden, I just felt the love of God just wash all over me. And then out of my mouth came this words I never said before. I said, Abba. I was like, Abba, Abba. And I was like, weird, cool, feels kind of right, but I don't know what this word Abba means. It was a couple of months later, and I was reading this verse in Romans 8, and I was like, oh, that word's in the Bible. You know, when you're a young guy, you didn't know these things. I was like, Abba, that's that word I said. And I was like, Abba, Father, this, is, this was the Holy Spirit revealing to me that I have a Father who loves me. I had a good dad. Sometimes he was a hard dad. Sometimes he, well, he often, he, not that I could recall, did he ever say, I love you, son? And so I had this, this gap in my heart that was crying out for love. And on that day, what I was experiencing, as I came to understand later on, was the Father's love was being poured into my heart. And out from within me came this word, Abba. And, and later on, I read this passage here that he will cause our spirits to cry out, Abba, Father. Friend, there's some of you here this morning, and you relate to that. You relate to that story because you, you know what it is to, you struggle with your identity, but you know that the Father, even now, the Holy Spirit's stirring something on the inside of you. and like, that's what I need. I need to know the Abba Father, that I'm a son. 
I have a um, young man, like I said, Jordan, who lives with us. I think I have a picture of him here somewhere. This is Jordan. Jordan is, you can just tell by the cheeky look on his face. Jordan, he, he's, he's a lot of fun around our house. Um, he's doing an internship with me at church. Jordan's a great young Fijian man. And um, one day I was talking with him, and um, we, were, we were sharing and praying, and um, he, he, he'd always struggled with his identity. Jordan's always been kind of like, he said, man, sometimes people say something to me, and he calls me Swizzle. He says, it's a street, it says, you know, it says, uh, sometimes people say to me, Swizzle, they say something, and I get real angry, and I said, okay, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. And so he prayed, and he said, man, I remember this time where we were together as a family, and my dad went out to get some stuff, and one of my older brothers turned to me and said to me, do you know that you are dad's least favorite son, that he doesn't really like you. And he said, I got so angry when he said that. I wanted to punch him in the head. And, and he tells his testimony every time someone would say something like that where he felt rejected, he just wants to attack them and, and hurt them. And so I said to him, let's ask God what he thinks. And so we spent some time and prayed. And he just starts to cry and to weep. And he, and he said, God just spoke this word to me, highly favored one, highly favored. And um, I didn't tell him to do this, by the way, but he went out and got tattooed on his arm, highly favored. <laughs> it's like, came back, look what I got on my arm, like, righto. <laughs> I said, that's my new identity. That's who I am, the highly favored one. And um, it's cool because the Holy Spirit just revealed to him who the Father said he was. And it's changed him. He doesn't, he doesn't want to scrap people anymore. He doesn't want to punch people anymore that look at him or whatever. He just is, there's a new sense of security. There's a new sense of identity in who he is. That's the power that I've seen over and over and over and over again. That if we will allow the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, he'll break those those thinking those thoughts and that identity off of our mind that is, is who our father said we were, our mother said, that teacher said, that, 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 that friend said, whoever it was that's spoken there and wounded the core of our soul, the Holy Spirit can speak into that place. He can turn that identity around. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit, amen, to, to, to get into the inner part of us. I say this to stir a bit of hunger up in your and your spirits this morning, because the Holy Spirit's incredibly powerful. Something else the Holy Spirit does. So He breaks fear off our lives, and He reveals love to us. The Holy Spirit will keep us in step with God's will. Romans 8, that verse says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit, friend, will, will tap you and will into the power of God and will lead you into the power of God in ways that still blow my mind. Still blow my mind and how incredible the power of God is. He, he is, you know, able to just make things happen that you and I can't make happen. Let me give you an example. There's some land up there. Do we see that picture up there? Projector's gone out. That's all right. Well, if you saw up there, you'd see a big piece of land, 4,800 square meters. 
This piece of land is adjacent to our church. It's along the railway track, and it's um, right along there. Two and a half years ago, when the Auckland property market was at its peak, you try and buy 4,800 square meters of land in South Auckland adjacent to your church. Um, this, this land is worth a lot of money. Right at the, we all understand this, right? We know what's happened in the property market. It was valued at around three and a half to four million dollars, and it came on, came up for sale from the. It was owned by the government, and it was right next to our church, and we wanted to buy it. So, we talked to prophets, we prayed, and we put an offering that we felt was what God spoke to me to put in. $500,000 for that land. <laughs> right? It's ridiculous, you know. Like, that can't happen, but that's what we felt to do. And um, I was fasting and praying three days. And on the Tuesday morning, um, praying at six o'clock in the morning, I'm praying. And um, down at the church, there's a few of us there praying. And as I'm praying in tongues, now, if you don't pray in tongues, it's a language the Holy Spirit gives us to intercede. So I'm praying in tongues. Uh, you know, let me just explain tongues before I, I, I give you a demonstration of this bit. When I pray in the Holy Spirit, people say, what's this praying in tongues thing? Where does this come from? Well, it's, it's in Acts chapter 2. We can read it in a second, but... When the Holy Spirit was poured out on church, it says they began to pray in an unknown tongue. They began to pray in these, these, this language they'd never spoken before. And people say, well, how does that happen? How does that work? Well, if I went to my mom one day and I said to her, you know, I wanted to convey to her that I loved her, I would go to her and I would maybe give her a hug and say, hey, I love you, mom. But, you know, one day I did that and something else weird came out of my mouth. Um, I went to her to give her a hug, um, and I gave her a hug and I just went, ah, where'd the ah come from? You ever asked yourself those kind of weird questions? Where'd the ah come from? Maybe you hug a kid and you're like, ah, where's the ah come from? Like, why the ah? Like, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Why do you say ah? But it comes out from deep somewhere, doesn't it? You didn't even plan to say it. It just kind of comes out sometimes. These weird noises, these funny sounds come out. Like, we, we, you know, and so here's what happens. Like, when I want to sort of say, I love you, mom, it comes from down in my heart. I feel I want to say, I love you. It comes up to my head. My head puts words to it, and I say, I love you. But there's this other sound that comes out, ah, which comes from my heart, and it's sort of straight out my mouth, and it bypasses my head. Does that make sense? So when I come to Father, when I come to Almighty God, and I say, I feel that I want to say to him, I love you, God. I worship you. What comes out from down here to my brain is, and I put words to it, and I say, Father, I love you. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are mighty. You are strong. But there are times when the Holy Spirit comes up as well in his language. And I can feel it, but it comes out in words that my brain doesn't understand. So if I wanted to convey to Father that same thing, it would just come out like, and 
And it would, would you, if you could sense that in the spirit, you would sense what I sense, but I, my brain doesn't understand what I just said, but I know from my heart what just came out there. And so it comes out this, this language. And from a young age, I was able to just pray in the Holy Spirit. And I learned how to, to, to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, <coughs> as I began to pray in the Holy Ghost on that Tuesday morning, my hands started doing something weird. So I'm praying in tongues, and my hand starts doing this. I'm like, what's going on? I have this like prophetic hand. It does things sometimes. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. And I'm, it's doing this, and then it starts doing this. It's doing this, and it's going bang, bang. And I'm like, what the heck is my hand doing right now? And I realize I'm signing something, and I'm stamping something, and some paper. So I'm like, and I'm signing and stamping this thing. And um, our lawyer, who told us we were crazy, rings up that afternoon and says, you wouldn't believe it. They signed off that deal, and you got the land for $500,000 today. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that afternoon, he said, you wouldn't believe what happened this morning. Somebody signed it off and stamped it. Come on. I'm okay with the power of the Holy Ghost moving through me. I'm okay because He keeps us in step with the will of God. He helps us to live in this dimension of the miraculous. Uh, he, He helps to release miracles and healings through our life. He gives us the power to drive out demons and to heal the sick. The Holy Spirit wants to work through all of our lives. He wants to work through every believer. Can I just turn you, take you to one other place, and that's Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. The New King James says they were one accord, one mind, they're in one place. Can I just, can I just say this? I preached this last week in my church, and um, it was just such a revelation to, to us because we are, we're just talking about moving in the supernatural, releasing miracles, one of the things God showed me in His Word is, is how to have a church that releases more miracles. Who would like to see more healings? Who would like to see more miracles? I would love to. But God said to me, there's some blockages in my church right now that are stopping miracles from happening. And I asked people, when you pray for that miracle, why do you think it didn't happen? Now, most people say this. They say, because I'm probably not holy enough, because I'm probably not walking close enough with God, or I probably, you know, haven't been being a good enough person to see the miracle come. But if that was true, why did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 22, He said, many will come to me on that day saying, did we not do these miracles? Did we not do these, these things here? And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You know, that doesn't kind of add up then, does it, right? Because these people who weren't walking close with God, who were unholy, were doing miracles. So can I say this? The reason that miracles are not happening is not because of that. It's not because of your lack of holiness. Now, never let it be said that Stephen Miller doesn't want you to be holy, right? Absolutely. God wants you to be holy. But some of us in this passage, we're having, some are having miracles and not being holy, and God wants us to be holy and have miracles. Come on this morning. But here's why we don't see the miracles. God began to show me in, in, in His Word. It's about our words. 
It's about the words we speak. It's about the disunity. It's about the gossip. It's about the dishonor. Because when Jesus was dishonored in his hometown, they said, oh, it's just Jesus, that guy from down the road. Oh, it's just Pastor Craig. You know, I know about the issues in his life. We know his family. We know da-da-da-da. Oh, it's just the elder. You know, I know that elder. When you don't honor your elders, when you don't honor your leaders, when you don't honor your pastors, you don't receive the miracles God wants to release through them. When you speak in disunity of one another, and I'm not talking about here at church on Sunday, when we talk about poorly about each other in the car driving home, in the, in the home, in our, in our lives, you know, when we start Oh, you know, sister so-and-so, she's just annoying. Oh, brother this, he's just a pain in the neck. Oh, that rimmer, mate, have you seen his shoes lately? You know, you, you, I don't know. You, you, you talk about people and you know what? When you do that, you and I, we rob ourselves of the miracle we might need in a week's time. Because when the body's in disunity, when there's unity, God commands a blessing. When two agree, one puts to flight a thousand, two ten thousand, there's a unity and power of the Spirit of God that can be released to release miracles. And so as a church, America and your life, and I'm going to encourage you guys here, let's just close our mouths rather than speak that stuff all the time because that's what's robbing us from receiving the miracles God wants to release in our midst. Come on this morning. Come on, let's walk in unity. Let's walk with one heart. But they were in one place and of one accord. And the power of God was poured out in that place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the sound of a mighty windstorm filled the house where they were sitting. There was like a flames, a fire appeared on them. The Holy Spirit began speaking in other languages through them. And they get out there and people think that they, I'll paraphrase for the sake of people thought they were so Happy, they thought they must have been drunk. One of the things that the Holy Spirit will bring to you is joy. And people might think you look a little drunk. That's okay. That's what they thought of these people here too. And, and they, were, they were filled with so much joy. And they went out and they preached the gospel. And people were like, what's going on? And Peter stands up and says, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied, that in my last days I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. And he preaches the sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord. And uh, they say to him, what shall we do? And he says, each of you must repent, be baptized, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, Rome, Acts 2 verse 39. This promise, everyone say this promise. What's the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke, who wrote this book, says at the end of Luke. Jesus said, wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Wait in Jerusalem. Peter says this promise, this outpouring that you're seeing, this promise, just making this point here for a reason in a second, you understand. This promise, this outpouring, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, verse 39, let's read it together. This promise is to you. And to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Let me just break that down for a second. Peter says this to this crowd 2,000 odd years ago. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
the one Jesus promised is for you and your children and to all generations, to all the Gentiles, to all whom the Lord our God will call. Are you part of that calling? Are you part of those who God has called? Then according to the Apostle Peter, he says, this promise of the Holy Spirit, this outworking of the Spirit of God is for you. There are people that teach that the Holy Spirit ceased His work at some point. Based that on a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, which is talking clearly about when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we won't need that same prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit because we will see Him face to face. But here, while we are on this earth, friend, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit for miracles. We need the Holy Spirit to walk in the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit to live holy. We need His Spirit. We are under the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. There was the dispensation of the Father from Adam, the father of man, to Abraham, the father of faith. The dispensation of the Son from Isaac, the son of promise, to Jesus, the Son of God. We're in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost to the return of Christ. There's nobody else we need more than the Holy Ghost in our lives. And I've tried to live religious and I've tried to do life in the flesh and in my own strength and it does not work. And that's why when someone gets saved in our church, one of the first things I want to do is get them water baptized and get them baptized in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit teaches them and guides them and leads them. I don't have to tell them a whole lot of stuff. He teaches them. I don't have to teach them this. I don't have to say you've got to read your Bible. They want to read their Bible because the Holy Spirit puts that desire within them. We so need the Holy Spirit, church. We need Him at work in our lives. We need His power and His freedom this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. I sense your presence. Just come in the room here this morning. You've been here all along, but right now there's a manifestation of faith. Faith that's just come by the Spirit of God to receive that fresh touch upon our lives. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't we Take a moment to surrender our lives afresh to Jesus if you would like to. I invite you to lift your hands up. Lord Jesus, let's pray this quietly after me if you're willing to do so. Lord Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. Wash away all the sin in my life. Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Thank you that I'm made holy by your precious blood, not by my works, not by my effort. And I have faith in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. And I worship you this morning.